Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Come on. Thank you. Amen. I can't believe this message is number 332 and I still get so scared and nervous. Anybody ready for the word this morning? All right. Let me ask this real quick. How many of you came to National Back to Church Day and you're here today again? Amen. Amen. All right. All right. The rest of you remember who it was that held their hands last week. You get on them. You tell them to listen online because I wrote this for them so it's not fair. Amen. But thank you, family. Thank you for coming. I'm excited about this. Let me start with the scripture, Romans 1.20. Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Tell somebody, no excuse. No excuse. All right. So we started a new series last week for my Back to Church crew. And we titled it, No Fairy Tales. Say, No Fairy Tales. And so what we're doing in this series is called apologetics, right? It's a, that's a fancy word for uh, a field of study that defends biblical truth against everything that opposes it. So we're doing apologetics, okay? <coughs> Sorry, guys. We live in a society that is so hostile to God, don't we? Listen, anyone could say anything about anybody, and it's good, but if there's a cross involved or if it's mentioned to God, there's an issue. Have you noticed? Any religion could say anything they want, they could do anything they want, and it's all good. Everybody's, hey, that's amen. That's positive. Praise God. Anybody say God or Jesus or a cross, there's an issue. Amen? And so now the, the, the words that, that we hear, that you're, you're hearing in the news and in, the, in all kinds of, of social media is the words tolerance, the words coexistence, right? And, and what, what's happening is the society is trying to water down and blur the lines of faith and belief. To, and, and, and what they've turned it into is like a home shopping network. Let me explain that. They say, you know, you, you can buy this, you can try this, you can use that. And basically what they're saying is all religions are the same, man. All paths lead to God. And in the end, you know, it, it's, it's nice. We're all going to be in heaven. And that's a beautiful story, isn't it? I can't tell you how many funerals I've been at where the person in the box, and I don't mean any disrespect. If I'm going to offend somebody, this is the point of the message where it's going to be offensive right now. But I've been in so many funerals where the person in the box lived totally against God. Just stood against God. Like, like I mean, like clearly went against, you know, uh, the, the, the way that God has called them to live. Clearly was anti-God. And yet at the funeral, everybody wants to console everybody with, at least he's in a better place now. It's all good now, at least. 
at least I've, I've even heard people say, well, God must have needed another angel. I'm like, do you know? Do you all know how this man lived? You think God took him to be an angel? We're all in trouble. Amen? But, but it seems like at the end of our life, we want to console ourselves with, well, there's always heaven. And, and God is such a loving God, he's going to let everybody into heaven. Can, can I just burst that bubble today and tell you that's nonsense? I got one person clapping. I know this isn't popular. This is not going to bring more people to the church. This is not going to fill the seats. But that's not what we're trying to do, amen? Because while that's a beautiful story, I want to tell you the world is selling a fairy tale. That's not what the word says. And now the other problem is this. We've been told so much junk about the Bible. We've seen it used in so many wrong ways that we have such a mistrust for it. And now with, with all the, the, the internet theologians, there's, there's all this increasing doubt. And if you're on the internet at all, there's an atheist at every Christian website leaving comments. Have you noticed? On every Christian website, there's atheists leaving comments. And, and I wonder, I, I think to myself, why don't you just shut up and, and, and exist? Just be you. If you don't believe this, why are you trolling Christian websites? <laughs> I mean, is, that, is it me or is that just silly? It's foolishness. You don't believe this, get off my site. <laughs> Leave me alone. If I'm believing a fairy tale, let me believe a fairy tale. I'm not imposing that on you. You're on my side. So anyway, there's an atheist on every... And so in this series, what I wanted to do is give you this insight about the word. I wanted to talk to you about the word before going into the word. Because I understand, and, and I started this for my back to church people. Because I understand some people don't believe the Bible. And you have issues with the Bible. So what's the point of me preaching the Bible if you don't believe it yet? I want to kind of at least remove the excuses. Amen? And that's what apologetics is. I want to I wanna kind of defend this, this thing. And so I, I have to tell you, man, this has been the hardest, one of the hardest series. Because preparing for this series has really been a challenge for me. Because usually I'm reading books and I'm studying scripture. And I love, I love to read books and research and I love to read the word and I love to watch it unfold. And as I read and prepare a message, I love the way the spirit of God will, will guide me and show me things and unpack stories for me to share with you, to challenge me, to challenge you. I love that the word of God is not a dead word. It's alive, man. It has power. It transforms. It heals. It mends. restores. You can't tell me nothing different. I don't care what you have to. You can't tell me nothing different. I've seen. It makes sense of suffering. It brings joy that you can't explain. But anyway, for this series, it's been so difficult because I've been reading and studying about the Word. I haven't been reading and studying the Word. And there's such a difference. There's such a huge difference. I never realized this. There's such a huge difference. You can say, yeah, but I'm researching about the Bible and, and, and getting all these facts about the Word. And I'm all about the Word this week. And I still feel empty because I've been reading about the Word and I haven't been reading the Word. Can, can I confess that to you? 
There's a difference. In, it's such a difference, the power of knowing about the Word. Listen, you can memorize all there is to know about the Bible and have no wisdom added to you. Oh, you ready to go in? Go like this. Strap it in. Click, click, click it or tick it. Come on. Let me give you some Bible facts. You, I, like I told you last week, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. There's 66 books in all. The Old Testament has 39 books. There's 17 historical, 5 poetical, and 17 prophetic books in the Old Testament. The New Testament has 27 books. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's the book of Acts, which is, you know, the start of the church. Then there's 21 epistles or living letters. And then there's the prophetic book, the book of Revelation. In all, there are 1,189 chapters. The Old Testament has 929 chapters. The New Testament has 260 chapters. The longest book in the Bible is what? Psalms. Good. Good answer. The shortest book is what? So you guys are doing great. Second John. All right. The longest chapter in the, in, in, the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. Good answer. And the shortest Psalm is what? 117. Good. Yeah, you're right. The longest verse, the longest verse in the whole Bible is Esther 8:9. The shortest verse is John 11:35. Who memorized the shortest verse? Jesus wept. You're a bunch of scholars. <laughs> scholars. Listen, I shouldn't even preach this here. You guys know too much. I'll take it to another church. Listen, Ezra 7:21. Ezra, this one verse, Ezra 7:21 contains all the letters of the alphabet except J. Fascinating. Daniel 4.37, that contains all the letters of the alphabet except Q. How many of you are like being changed by these facts? Watch this. The, which book of the Bible never mentions the word God? Esther. I knew there was stuff. Come on. Who's the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah. You guys are good. How old was he for extra points? 960. Ding, ding, ding. A brand new car. Who are the two men in the Bible that never died? Enoch and Elijah. Man, we, we're going. Did you know there are 10 places in the Bible where people were raised from the dead? Did you know that Goliath's armor weighed 125 pounds? Did you know that Stephen was the first Christian martyr? Who was the first apostle martyred? James. Good, good answer. You know there were seven Marys in the New Testament? Do you know that in 2 Samuel there was a man with six fingers and six toes? It says that, 2 Samuel, look it up. There's a man with six fingers and somebody said, yeah. I'm not lying. I'm, you can check all this. Do you know that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs? Do you know that Solomon also had black wavy hair, the word says? Do you know there are 12 books in the Bible that start with J? How about this one? Almonds and pistachios are the only two nuts mentioned in the Bible. This pastor. <laughs> Salt is mentioned 41 times in the Bible, but pepper is never mentioned. Revelation. The word hate is used 87 times in the Bible. The word love 310 times. Woo. Listen, I hope you're, you're not taking notes because none of this matters. None of this matters. Listen, you, you can learn and memorize all of these facts. There's pages and pages more of this stuff. I googled Bible facts, and in 0.61 seconds, I got 56 million results. And not one of them changed my life or had any effect on me. 
I mean, except knowing that pistachios was in the Bible. That was <laughs> life-changing. Because, you see, I didn't become a Christian because someone convinced me with a bunch of facts. I didn't become, I didn't turn to God because, because somebody gave me the historical data. I met the God of the Bible when he rescued me. I wrote this for Joshua Rogers. Is he here? No? All right, he'll get it later. See, I was lost, cold inside from the hurt around me. I never quite fit in. I figured it was something about me. And so I dabbled here and there with this and with that, but nothing in this world satisfied me. I spiritually crossed the line not knowing what I'd find. I got caught up in the dark arts of the occult, trying to find, figure things out with my mind. I was promised power if I lit a candle to some dead saint and brought it light. Protection if I wore her colors around my neck and spoke to the shadows at night. But for every ounce of power, I had entire nights of fear. For every gift I received, I had to serve another year. I never read the word. I was just told to keep it near. I was deceived. I I thought this was what I was supposed to believe. But these, these spiritual hacks, they spoke over my life. They even looked at Michelle once and they said, that'll never be your wife. <laughs> well, 26 years and it's been kind of nice. <laughs> they, took, they took a young heart that was seeking God and they told me to sit. They hid the call of God on my life and they gave me a counterfeit. I entered a dark world full of shadows, eyes open with no sight. I felt trapped. I was stuck. I was afraid every night. Through it all, I was praying. I I asked God to be clear. I said, God, if this is my lot in life, to please you, I'll live with this fear. I'll get through the night if you say this is right. I learned to be tough, and I'll try not to give in to the fear. And then one night as I was leaving, God came near. I didn't know at the time how many books were in the word. I didn't know who painted the colors on a fish or put feathers on a bird. All I knew at that moment was what I heard. He said, I love you. You're mine. I created you. You're my intelligent design. (laughs) You've got a call on your life. That part is true, but that spirit of fear, I never gave it to you. Tonight it's broken. You're through. And that night he called me into ministry, even though I hadn't memorized the scripture or worked out my theology. I knew he was true because that night he came through. And if he did it for me, come on. The series is titled No Fairy Tales. No Fairy Tales. And today's message is Ride or Die. Fairy tales too. I know I'm being a little hood with it right now, but. (laughs) But listen, this isn't the time for the church to be stuck in doubt and wrestle with disbelief to the point where you're no longer effective. This is the time to, to be certain of what we believe, stand on it, and not be shaken and not be moved. Amen? 
No matter how many facts I give you, I know I can't convince anyone. I'm not, I'm not going to try to talk you into a relationship with God today. What I want to do is remove the excuses that keep you from God. Amen? Is that good? Because here's the truth. Let me speak prophetically to you right now. God wants you all to be reconciled to God. Some of you might have thought you came for a special event today. God wants you to be reconciled to God. God wants you to be in right relationship with God. It's time you stop hiding, stop running, stop trying to justify what you already know doesn't even feel right. Punto. Okay, so we talked last week a lot about the Old Testament. Can it be trusted? And is it reliable? I hope I was able to show you how detailed the word is. And in so many areas, the, the, the word spoke about science that it did, we didn't even have yet. And, and if you missed last week, look on the website and listen to it because the whole basis for the Old Testament I gave last week, I don't have time to get into it this week. But I hope that I proved to you last week, I showed you last week that, that, that things that the Word said were, if any of those things were totally off when they came to pass, then we wouldn't even be here hundreds of years later talking about the Word. This thing would have died a long time ago. Amen? We wouldn't be discussing it today. So what I want to do today, I want to take a little jump into the New Testament. Is that good? Yeah. Now the New Testament is the cut. Thank you for two people being excited. That's, that encourages me. <laughs> it lets me know I didn't do all this work for nothing. Now the New Testament is, is the covenant between Jesus and his followers. So that's us. Right? The New Testament... If the New Testament, here's the premise, if the New Testament doesn't fulfill the prophecies that were written in the Old Testament, then Jesus is not the awaited promised Savior of the world, and we should just move on. If Jesus didn't exist, and if Jesus didn't die, and if Jesus didn't rose from the dead, then even Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. If he didn't exist, if he didn't die, and if he didn't rise again, we're wasting our time. Okay? This is all meaningless. So here's, here's, let's jump in. I got three arguments that I want to defend today. Give me those three arguments. Number one, can the New Testament be trusted? Number two, how can we know that Jesus really existed? And number three, how can we know that he really rose from the dead? If we can't prove any of those, if we don't have any basis for any of that, then we should shut down the door and we could all go different places, believe positive, meditate, do downward dog, do whatever, and just live good lives and whatever. And then at our funerals, we'll say nice things. Oh, he was a nice guy, you know. There's a good place for him now. First argument, the authenticity of the word. Now, of course, in the first century, we didn't have printing presses. Okay, so we couldn't print books. Uh, understand that the people couldn't mass produce books and stories and news like we do today. Matthew did not have an iPhone yet. And so he couldn't take a selfie when, when Jesus was turning a Happy Meal and feeding 5,000. He couldn't be like, hashtag fed 5,000. Hashtag Happy Meal. Hashtag Jesus. Peter couldn't be like, you know, Jesus walking on the water. Peter like, Hashtag walk on water. Hashtag I did it too. Right? It would be so awesome if the Bible was written in today's time where, where we could document everything. We just look at the Instagram of the apostles and bam, we can't have no doubt because there'd be a picture for everything. 
right? But, but look, listen, then even writing wasn't so easy at that time. Parchment and ink wasn't something that was readily available, and it was expensive. So <clears throat> when they were able to write it, everything had to be handwritten. You understand that the iPad hadn't been invented yet. Typewriters, nothing. They, they, everything had to be handwritten. So if someone wanted a copy of it, a scribe or someone had to write it out word for word from scratch. So every copy of the New Testament had to be written by hand by a scribe if somebody else wanted a copy of it. So now your internet theologians like to say, well, I mean, there's no way that could have remained unchanged, all that copying by hand. The telephone principle comes in, right? Like if I lean over and tell Alice something in her ear, and I tell Alice to tell Bert and go on and go on and go on, by the time it gets to the back all the way over there, what I told Alice is going to be like, I want pateles for lunch. <laughs> Even though, like, I gave her a scripture. You know what I'm saying? Like, it'll change so many times when it goes through two, three hundred people that it'll be about pateles when it was about Christ over here. Right? You, you understand what I'm saying? So, so, so you know, the, the, our, our theologians will tell you, listen, if, 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 if this has been changed, this has been passed down, we're talking first century, 100 A.D., 50 A.D., Jesus died in 33 A.D. So, so for, for that's a long time. So everybody says that has to have been changed so many times. So listen, if there were two or three copies of these ancient scrolls, wouldn't that be awesome? If we had two or three copies of, of this scroll from the first century, not something written today, but these scrolls, parchment scrolls, written from the first from you know the first century, it would be so awesome if we had two or three of those so that we can compare it to our New Testament today and say, whoa, there's a problem, or whoa, this is almost the same. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had two or three? Obviously, the more copies that we had, it would be better, right? The more copies we'd be able, because what if two scribes were like dyslexic? And they, they crisscrossed everything and like, oh man, I don't understand what this is. But, but the more copies that we had, it would be better because we'd be able to compare all of these copies of the Old New Testament and compare them to what we have today. Well, well, well guess, guess what? Did you know that we have 5,700 manuscript copies of the New Testament in Greek alone? Did you hear the number? 5,700 copies, manuscripts in Greek. Guess what? We have 10,000 copies in Latin. Guess what? In all other languages together, there's another 10 to 15,000 copies of these manuscripts, handwritten word for word by scribes from the first century. That's over 25,000 manuscripts of the New Testament in existence today. Side note. Remember, that's 27 books. How many of you have ever written an email and it got messed up and like you're like, oh, I'm writing that all over again? And you're typing. Imagine handwriting 27 books. Why would so many people be willing to invest the time and the money to have these manuscripts made up if this was just a passing phase or some hoax made up by a few apostles? I'm just saying. Back to the facts. Guess what has been found by comparing these early manuscripts to what we have now? Anybody interested? Good, I'm wasting my time otherwise. 
As you would imagine, there are some differences in the manuscripts written in the first century to our New Testament today. As a matter of fact, there are 200,000 to 400,000 variants in these documents. Some of you are secretly saying, see, I told you. Toma, how you going to deal with that? Wait. What counts as a variant? There's 400,000 variants at the highest. What counts as a variant? Well, how many of you know that when you're typing, when you're writing, the little red line doesn't come up and tell you if you misspelled the word? There's no spell check on parchment. Did you know that 300,000 of those variants are misspelled words? 300,000 are misspelled words. If the scribe and the New Testament scholar sees the New Testament and is reading the scribe, if there's a misspelled word, he has to write that there's a variant. There's something different from here to here. So that's a variant. Another variant is um, the other stuff that, that are changes in order. He went to the store. He was at the store or, you know, he appeared at the store. But if, if there's any change in order of the sentence, it's a variant. That's another variant. There's also translation issues. Like, you know, when we say an apple or a book, that, that stuff doesn't translate over in a lot of languages the right way. If, if, that's, if any of those little gram, grammatical, if any of those are off, that's a variant. New Testament scholars have been asked to determine of all of these variants, what percentage of them are meaningful changes? Because that's what matters, right? When, where has the meaning changed from there to now? The New Testament scholars all agree that there's an estimated 1% of the New Testament that we have today. So that means the New Testament that we have today is almost 99% pure to the New Testament from the first century. Come on, come on, somebody, you, you got to get a little more excited about that. That means 1% of our Bibles today, and guess what? We don't even hide that. If you look in your scripture, if you read your Bible, there's some verses, there's some words that your word will tell you this was not included in the original manuscript. How many of you ever found that in your Bibles? Now you know what that means, right? That means in, when it was compared to the scrolls, this word, this phrase, this story even, some, in some places, was not included in the original manuscripts. The word doesn't even hide that. It tells you right in your, in your notes. Of that 1%, guess what? No essential doctrine is, al is altered. Do you hear what I'm saying? No doctrine is changed by that 1%. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. See, the fact that we have so many written manuscripts to compare, and the fact that the Word hasn't changed, should not surprise us. Because God is the Word. So it shouldn't surprise us, but I want you to understand that historically, that doesn't happen in any other document. We don't have that kind of testimony. We don't have that kind of background for any other document from the hundreds, from, from the first century. So that excuse that the Bible has been translated and rewritten so many times that it can't be trusted, 
stop reading so much about it and read it. Amen? So now the rest of that first John, the next passage there, it says, the word, this word that was with God, that was God, that, that is God, this word in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Well, we've, and it says, we've seen the glory and the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace was true. So the Bible says that the word was with God and the word is God. And then it tells us that the word became flesh. So that means that Jesus is, is, is the word became flesh. And then it says that the word is God. So the Bible is telling us Jesus is with God and Jesus is God. Uh Uh-oh. That's a whole other message. I know I'm getting real heavy for you. I'm sorry. Let me me move on to the next area to defend. And these will be quick, I promise. A couple hours, we'll be out of here. Skeptics say, how can we know Jesus really existed? And so the atheists, when you have a debate with an atheist, they say, and you can't use any of the New Testament writers because obviously that's bias. So you can't use the New Testament to prove the New Testament because obviously the New Testament believed the New Testament. So they're saying, how do we know that Jesus really existed? Because if Jesus never existed, then this is the, the whole Bible that you have is fake. It's a fraud, right? So to, to prove he existed, because if it didn't, then it doesn't matter. Listen, listen to this. Check this out. There are over 42 sources. Give me the first slide. There are over 42 sources within 150 years after Jesus' death that mention his existence and record many of the events in his life. First, of course, we have to include this for us. There's nine traditional New Testament authors. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Paul, author of Hebrews, the author, James, Peter, and Jude. They all obviously, they, they, they're in their book, their letters are included in the book, they all obviously testify. Now, the next slide. There was 20 early Christian writers outside of the New Testament. So these are people that did not write the word. These were the apostolic fathers. These were people that were ministered to by the apostles. So they heard the word directly from the apostles, from God's disciples. And so they have all this writing out. Clement of Rome, Second Clement, Ignatius, Polycarp, the, all these, these are all um, books and, and, and articles that were written. There were letters that were written to the church. These are all outside of the Bible. These are outside of the New Testament that wrote about Jesus, wrote about the Christians, wrote about this life. The next one. These were four heretical writings. So not only, not everything that I'm showing you is to prove Jesus is right. All we're trying to prove the argument is did Jesus exist, right? So these are four, these are heretical writings, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, the Apocryphon of John, and the Treatise on Resurrection. These were heretical. They talked bad about Jesus. They talked bad about the, the Christians, but they talked about them, which means they existed. They wouldn't be talking about something that didn't exist. You, you follow me? So they talked bad about them, but we, we don't care what they said about them. All we know is that they wrote about them in this time period. Next one. There was nine secular sources. These are non-Christians. Nine secular sources that wrote about this Josephus, a Jewish historian, Tacitus, the Roman historian, Pliny the Younger. That guy was crazy. He wrote, his writings was about killing the children of Christians. I mean, like Herat, this is crazy, you know, the, the stuff that he's talking about. But what's he talking about? Christians and Jesus. So we don't care what he has to say. We're just trying to prove that somebody in that time period wrote about him. Watch this. 
Tiberius Caesar, the Roman emperor, who was the emperor during the time of Jesus, there are over, he only had 10 authors who mentioned his existence. Because writing was not something that was common. It was not something that, that was as, as widespread as we have now. So the Roman emperor only had 10 authors mention his existence. That means there are over four times as many sources for Jesus' life and deeds than Tiberius Caesar. So if one is going to judge the, and doubt the existence of Jesus, we have to also reject the existence of the Roman emperor, emperor of that time. You follow? You still with me? Last argument, I promise. How can we know Jesus really rose for the dead? This is where my ride or die, my ride or die uh, theology comes in. How can we really know that Jesus rose from the dead? There's, there's the obvious uh, um, arguments that everybody gives. There's the empty tomb. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, theories and there's a lot of things that, that well, you know, they stole his body, they they, um, he didn't really die. He, there's a swoon series that he just like passed out. And so they thought he was dead and so they put him in. And so then this man who had been beaten and starved and, and broken and, and everything was able to roll away the stone that soldiers, you know, put in front and escape because he wasn't really dead. So he had the strength, you know, the next morning to, 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 to get rid of that. In the middle of the night, he must have had a good sleep and a Red Bull or something. And, 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 you know, so the empty tomb, that's a whole nother, we can preach a whole message on that. So next, there, then there was the alive appearances. He appeared to people. He appeared to, to, to the disciples and spoke to them. And so people say, that's people just um, um, hallucinations because they were so traumatized by this, this crucifixion. They were so traumatized by what they experienced that now they started hallucinating, you know, visions of him. But the problem with that is we can have a hallucination. You and me, we can drop a tab of acid and hallucinate. You, you know, we can do whatever and hallucinate. But for 500 people at one time to have the same hallucination, <laughs> that's some serious drugs going on there. <laughs> I never heard any of them kind of drugs that like all of us trip at the same time and see the same thing. You understand? So the alive appearance is that, but that's a whole nother, but that's not even what I want to focus on and close with. This, there's this thing. I call it the ride or die principle. For those of you that don't know that you, you know, you're not kind of from the hood, ride or die is a cultural youth expression. Um, when somebody says, uh, Bianca, you want to come up and explain this? No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. When, when somebody says... <laughs> When somebody says, this person is my ride or die, that means this person will go through anything for me. They will go, they'll be with me from beginning to end. It it doesn't matter what happens. Things are good, things are bad. This is my ride or die. This person is going to be with me forever. Sadly, our our young people, they think they have so many ride or dies. And when stuff hits the fan, right? When stuff hits the fan, those ride or dies are like, Cricket, right? Ain't nobody with you. But, but so, so you understand the expression. They're, they're, these people are going to be with me to the end, okay? So we see, let's look at the disciples real quick. We see throughout the, the New Testament, without, throughout their walk with Jesus, they were pretty flaky. How many of you would agree? Many times 
They got scared. Many times they complained. Many times they bickered. Many times they denied him. They broke out. Even, you know, at one time he said, listen, I need three of you to just stay and pray with me. They fell asleep. <laughs> These guys were not your typical ride or dies. How many of you would understand that? Right? They, they were not. Even when the crucifix, when they hit the fan and they grabbed them and they're whipping them and the disciples bounced, they were gone. Most of them were hissed. Everybody was like ghosts. They were gone. Nowhere to be seen. Not your ride or die material. How many of you would have Right? So, so here's the issue. We know now, now from the word and from history that many of them were martyred. They were killed for their faith in Christ. They were killed for their beliefs. That means they literally died for what they believe in. Let me propose this to you real quick in closing. What changed them? But they had Jesus all along. So was it Jesus? They, they had Jesus. They were with Jesus all the time. They, they one time they were crying in a boat because there was a storm. And they were like, Jesus, wake up. We're going to die. They were with Jesus this whole time. Jesus got up. He took the morcos out of his eyes. He said, like, why do you guys doubt, man? You with me. He said, you have little faith. And he spoke to the storm and the storm stopped and the boat was chill. So, so they had Jesus all along, and they were still scared. They were with him. He was sleeping right here. I would have just got real close to him, you know. <laughs> they had him all along, and they were still scared, and they were still punks. Still punks. What changed? What, what would cause them to be willing to die later on? I submit to you that was the resurrection. I submit to you that was the empty tomb. I submit to you, that was the power of God raising Christ from the dead and then them seeing Jesus alive after they saw him dead and, and they see him alive. They saw him dead and they see him alive. They saw him killed and they see him alive. I submit to you, that will put steel in your backbone. If, if like skeptics believe the body was stolen... And he really didn't die. And there's so many theories to explain, you know, that it was a lie. We know today that many people would die for what they believe in, right? We, we see that everywhere. Christians are dying overseas for what they believe in. Um, we have extreme extremists, Muslims just killing people, blowing people up, and, and submitting themselves to die for what they believe in. But how many people would die for what they know is a lie? I submit this to you. If you gathered all your ride or die crew, you're on Watson Avenue, you got, got all your... <laughs> just messing with you. I love you, baby. You're, you're on Evergreen, and you got all your ride or die crew, and you tell them, listen, 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 guys. This is what's going to go down. This is what's going to go down. They're going to kill me. They're going to try to kill me. You know, I'm not going to go out easy, but, but if they do kill me, they're going to bury me. I need you to make sure you take my dead body out the tomb and bury that joint. Hide it. Make sure nobody ever finds it. Now listen, I need you to make sure that everybody knows this is not a lie. Let them know that you saw me afterwards. Let them know that I appeared to you. Let them know that you saw me here and saw me here and that I said this and I said that. Let them know that, that, that I'm out of there. Let them believe that I rose again. Otherwise, this thing is not going to work. You with me? 
And, and so imagine his ride or die. He was like, yeah, 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 we're with you. But then he dies. They see him crucified. And then he says, oh, and by the way, listen, they're going to kill you too. <laughs> How many of you know that's when you take off the colors to that crew? You're like, <laughs> you take off that jacket. I'm not rolling with these guys. You want me to lie and be killed for the lie? How many of you would die for a lie that you knew was a lie? I'm not, you know, I'm saying it's different dying for what you believe in, but you know that he didn't raise from the dead. You, I walk away. I, I'll be honest with you. And I consider myself pretty bold and pretty brave. But I, I walk away because I'm not going to die for a lie. And, and Do you get where I'm going with this? Worship team, you guys can come. Let's give them hope. It's getting late. Why would so many people die for a lie? That ride or die principle to me is one of the strongest arguments I have for did Jesus really die? Did he exist? Did he rise again? As the Old Testament prophesied he would, as he prophesied, he told told the people that day, listen, destroy the temple and I'll raise it in three days. I mean, if God didn't have this all lined up, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. And people laughed at that because they said, you know how many years it took to build this temple? He wasn't talking about that temple. He was talking about this temple. He said, destroy this temple. I'll raise it in three days. In closing, again, finally, I promise. One of the biggest issues that I've been listening to all kinds of debates back and forth and I've been exhausted with this. One of the biggest issues that atheists and skeptics bring up in all of these debates, in every single one, how can a loving God, if your God is so loving and so love, if he is love, how can a loving God send people to hell after giving them freedom to choose? How can a loving God who gave us the freedom to serve him or not, how can he send people to hell for eternity? And that's a, that's a rough question. You know, that's a, heavy, that's a heavy question. How can a loving God punish people for not serving him after he gave us the freedom to choose him or not? The hard answer is, He doesn't. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone. You can break that down in different languages and different translations. Everyone means everyone. Everyone who calls upon the lane. God says, I don't want that none should perish. Hell wasn't created for people. Hell was created for the angels. The fallen angels, Satan and his angels that turned. 
And the truth is, right now, if you're breathing, if we have the opportunity, we have the freedom to choose. But if after every opportunity to make that choice and living constantly rejecting the love of God, rejecting the reconciliation of God, rejecting God's acceptance, rejecting all the times that he's reached out to you, all the things that he's provided. Man, sometimes you wake up in the morning, you see the sun, and you see the clouds, and you hear a bird sing, and you're like, God, God. All of nature declares your glory so that man is without excuse. If, if after all of that, you, you, would, you still would choose to reject God. I don't want God. I don't want Jesus. I don't want nothing to do with Jesus. And you could have had a lot of arguments up until this point. I don't trust the word. I don't trust. Well, well, good luck with that now. Y'all came at the wrong time because now you know. If... If after every opportunity to make that choice and living, you constantly live rejecting God, here's my question to you. Why would a loving God force you to be with someone you rejected all your life? That would be cruel. That would be cruel. If you live your entire life saying, God, I don't want no part of you. God, I don't believe you. God, I don't trust you. Jesus, I don't believe you. Jesus, I don't want you. Jesus, I don't think you existed. Jesus, I don't. If, if you live your entire life with that, I don't know if I really trust. I don't know if I really believe. I don't know if I. If you live your. Why would a loving God force you into his presence for eternity? The truth is we choose, right? Do you see that now from a different angle? Because I understand the atheist mindset is saying God is so cruel. He's such a mean judge. But he's really not. It would be mean of him to force you into the presence of God for eternity when you didn't want it. And you rejected it all your life. Can we wrestle with that for a moment as we just worship? If we would just bow our heads for a second.